the Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy, with your host, Dan Mickler, with music by bensound.com. Hello and welcome to the Mental Cast. I'm your host, Dan Mickle, and this is episode two or zero zero two. If you're looking at the title, I'm kind of ambitious, hoping that I have enough episodes to reach triple digits. So I just started that numbering off early, and that is my goal. And that was an amazing segue because today's podcast is about goal setting. Now, originally. Episode two was not going to be about goal setting, but I was talked into it by some people that are very close and dear to me that they wanted to hear my thoughts on goal setting and how I go about goal setting for myself and my clients. So without further ado, let's dive right into the art form of goal setting. Now, a lot of people are vocal about goal setting either for the negative or the positive. And I think they're a little bit right on both sides. One of the people that I really follow and I consider a mentor is Michael Gervais, who is a sports psychologist that has worked with the Seattle Seahawks, a few other teams, and works with Pete Carroll and some some really great stuff. Has a great podcast, the Finding Mastery podcast. I suggest that as soon as you're done listening with this, you uh, download that and listen to a few episodes. And he's been on record as saying is he's not a huge fan of goal setting, but he does recognize it is a necessary evil. Um, I don't know if that's the exact quote, but he understands the pitfalls and the issues with goal setting. Uh, another person I've come to really, really follow and respect is Tim Ferriss, a great writer and I guess modern day stoic philosopher um, has a great TED talk about fear setting. And we'll talk a little bit towards the end of this podcast about that. That's actually a lot of what I'm doing right now is just learning and getting comfortable with the process of fear setting. And I think it's a really, really great tool um, that we can use and that a lot of people could use. So when we look at the negatives of goal setting, probably the biggest thing that we run into is what I call death by goals, micromanaging versus functional goals. We tend to make a million little sub goals towards that one little goal that goes towards a much bigger goal. And we get so caught up in making the steps and the little goals and the micro goals and the mini goals that we forget what the heck we even started doing and what our end goal actually is. So part of the process is we have to look at how many steps and make sure that we're just not dying by making all these goal steps. And we want our goal setting to be functional. There are a couple methods out there. Some of the most common ones are the acronym SMART, which I've actually added to a little bit. I found it was missing for my personal taste and how I work with it. I found that it was missing some components. So we're going to talk a little bit about the SMART SMART methodology. We're going to talk about the OPP method, which is not, I repeat, not the song by Naughty by Nature from the 90s. It's the actual um, outcome, performance, and process-based method. And like I said earlier, we'll talk a little bit about fear setting and the method that Tim Ferriss has introduced in his TED Talk. I like to start all my sessions with goal setting thinking about this, this one quote, and I think it really sums everything up. The why leads us to the how. If we don't understand the why of why we're doing something, 
It's not going to help us with the how we're going to do it. We need to have more buy-in. We need to understand why we're up to building something. Um, in his book, The Way of the Wizard by Deepak Chopra, the very first uh, lesson that Merlin is giving a young King Arthur is he has King Arthur dig a hole and it takes him three days to dig this hole. And when he's done, King Arthur goes up to Merlin, how proud he is about how hard he worked for this digging this hole and how, you know, it was really strenuous, but now he's done. And the first thing that Merlin then instructs him is to fill the hole back in. And King Arthur gets really upset at, the, at this point. He's a boy. So boy, Arthur gets uh, really upset at Merlin over this. Why would I have dug this hole if I would have known that you were just going to have me filled in? And Merlin's response basically was, well, why indeed? And I think that really goes to had King Arthur known what was going on and looking at what the end goal was, he could skip that whole process of actually digging the hole. And that was the point that Merlin was trying to make to him, that we need to look at everything in a more global, broader view instead of just diving right into something and making all these steps to do it. We need to know why we're doing it. So again, just keep in mind the why leads us to the how. So when we talk about the methodologies, probably the most common one and the one that's used the most is the SMART, which again, I've added the EST. So the smartest methodology and the acronym stands for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timely, exhibit, seek and target. So let's break all those down and just kind of go through this whole process. Specific. We want our goals to be specific. We don't want to just change the world. We don't want to be just the best basketball player. We don't want to just lose weight. We need to be specific about what we want to do. How are we going to change the world? How are we going to be the best basketball player? How are we going to be weight or lose weight? Sorry about that. And yes, I'm too lazy to go back and edit this. So there'll probably be a lot of mistakes in it. And I really just don't care at this point. Um, so back to specific. So how can we do? Okay, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want the world to have a cleaner water source. I want to be the best three-point shooter in college basketball. Those are all specific. So then we need to go to the next letter, which is M and measurable. So how do we measure these things? Well, I want to make cleaner water, so I would like to have the water source at my house 80% lead free. I want to be an 85% three throw shooter or three point shooter. I want to lose 10 pounds. I've now made my goal specific and measurable. I know what I need to make. So then it becomes A, which is attainable. Can I attain those goals? Do I have the methods and the abilities, or at least know some of the abilities to help me attain these goals? Do I know how to get the lead out of the water? Do I know how to even shoot a basketball? Do I have access to a gym or are my meals prepared by someone else that I'll be able to lose weight? Is it attainable? Then we look at the R, which is realistic. 
is it realistic to think that I can remove lead from water? Is it realistic to think that I can be an 85% three-point shooter? And is it realistic that I can lose 10 pounds? All those seem realistic. But then again, I'm not very good with chemistry, so I probably couldn't do the water and lead source. I'm horrible at basketball, so there's no way I'm becoming uh, an 85% three-point shooter. So maybe they aren't realistic. Maybe those are my wants and my wishes, but from a goal standpoint, it's probably not realistic. Timely, and this is a tough one. What's too long? What's too short? Losing 10 pounds seems like a pretty easy goal. But if you're an MMA fighter and you have to lose 10 pounds in one week, is that a timely goal? And on the other side, I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay, over the next five years, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Doesn't seem like a very timely goal. We've, we've gone past the allotted time. We'll probably forget about it. We'll stop writing our goals because it's been two years that I've been trying to lose 10 pounds. Then we get into the three that are, are that are new that I added. Exhibit your goals. Put them up somewhere. I like to write mine on the mirror in the bathroom. Or I put it in my journal because I like to journal. Some people put post-it notes everywhere. Some people write it on their ceiling. So the first thing they see in the morning is what their goal is. But the more you see it, the more you pass by it, the greater the chance is that you're going to adhere to those steps and try and reach those goals. Next is the S, which is seek. Seek help. There's nothing in the world of goal setting that says you have to do any of this alone. So if my goal is to get lead out of the water, I'm going to find someone that knows the chemistry, that knows how to help me get the equipment to do what I want to do. I don't have to do this alone. If I want to lose 10 pounds, I'm going to hire a personal trainer. I'm going to get someone that's going to help me lose those 10 pounds. I don't have to do it alone. And the last one is target obstacles. Don't be afraid to look at things that might get in your way. Right now for me, it's star crunches by little Debbie or hostess or whoever actually makes them. I'm addicted to those things. I haven't had them since like sixth grade and I rediscovered them this week at the grocery store. There's no way I'm going to lose any weight because every time I walk through the kitchen, I grab a star crunch and eat down. It's like 300 calories. So I know that's one of my obstacles. So I need to avoid that. So part of my goal is don't go down the aisle in the grocery store. And that brings us full circle to the smartest methodology. So again, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, timely, exhibit, seek, and target. Next, I want to look at the OPP method. Outcome-based, performance-based, or process-based. And again, much like anything in the world, there's opinions on both. Some people feel that outcome-based is the way to go. Some people think performance is the way to go. Some people think process. Really, most of us that work in this field or live in this little world think it's just a balance of all three. So an out, outcome-based goal, and I think this is one of the biggest pitfalls, is this is where most people start. Did I win? My goal is to win this match, and that's all I'm looking at. When I put, what is my goal for this tournament? 
to win. That would be an outcome. Performance-based. Keeping on that same example of a sport tournament. Performance-based is, did I play well? I want to play well. I want to go the best I can in pool play, get the good side of the bracket, and I want to play well. Again, performance-based. We don't have a lot of control over outcome, and we don't have a lot of control over performance-based goals. Where we do have the most control, then, is the process. So we want to look at process goals. Did I use the proper footwork? Did I use proper handwork when I was running or dribbling with the ball? In volleyball, did I hit line 80% of the time versus what I used to do, which is 60% of the angle hitting. So you want to set your goals in all three of these areas, but your biggest emphasis is going to be on the process goals. That's the little goals that are going to get you towards your end ultimate goal. That in a very small and quick nutshell is the OPP method. We could spend, you know, hours on all these methods. Again, my purpose here is I just want to give an overview of some of these different methods that we go through and how they can be used. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying that you need to have different methods for different people or even different situations. I find that People that I work with in the business world or that are just looking for life goals, the smartest goal methodology usually works the best. But when I'm working with athletes, I kind of dwell in the OPP method a little bit more. Because in athletic events, you're really heavily going between all three of those, outcome, performance, and process-based goals. So it's just easier to work in that goals. And that's also not to say that within the OPP method, I'm not then using the smartest goal methodology inside that. When I'm going through my process goals, maybe every process goal that I have in my OPP method is a subset of the smartest goal methodology. Which brings us to the third one, which is probably the broadest and not the most focused of the methodologies, but it's road mapping. And when I look at road mapping, I'm literally setting and looking at a big goal, what the finish line is, and then what are all the checkpoints? Think of the cannonball run or a rally race. I guess I'm dating myself a little bit with the cannonball run, but hey, they're great movies. Look it up on Netflix. Um, so you have your start and you have your end point. But within those points, you have a lot of little checkpoints that you're going through. So in your roadmap, you want to map out all those little checkpoints. For an example, let's take a look at a young person who wants to become an Olympic boxer. So what does their roadmap look like? The first checkpoint is I want to be a top 20 under 12 boxer in my state by the time I'm 12. Okay, so then my next checkpoint is I wanna win a state junior golden gloves 
championship by the time I'm 16. Then I want to win an adult Golden Glove by the time I'm 18. Next, I want to be top three in the state by the time I'm 20. I want to be top five in the country by the time I'm 23. And I want to be on the Olympic squad by the time that I'm 25. Now, the cool and interesting part about road mapping is we can miss some of those checkpoints. If I was a top 20 U12 boxer in the country, but I didn't win a state junior golden glove by 16, I could still win that golden glove adult championship by the time I'm 18. So I miss that checkpoint, but then I get right back into the race and I'm right back on the checkpoints. And again, we can incorporate Smartest or even OPP into these checkpoints. And attached to the summary on the website of this episode, we'll have the sheets that you can go through, some sample road mapping sheets. Um, Mental Training Incorporated was really good with creating a roadmap, so I thank them uh, for laying the groundwork on that. You can check them out at mentaltraininginc.com. But you'll be able to download some of these samples and, and see exactly what I'm talking about. And again, some may work better for others. Sometimes we don't have the ability to roadmap. Because we don't really know what we want. We just know that first little step. And we don't know how long the process is going to be. That's okay. You don't have to roadmap. And when I work with my clients or I work with teams, I let them decide. Do they want to do smartest goals? Do they want to do OPP? You know, make a triangle. On one side, we're talking about outcome. On the other side of the triangle, performance. Then at the base, we're talking about process and go through it that way. Or maybe we just want to start with roadmap. Sometimes it's so broad, we literally start at the top with where they're at now and then at the bottom where they're going to be in 10 years, 15 years, what their end goal is. Don't be afraid to bounce in between. Try and figure out and find what works for you. Which then takes me to the part that I'm working on the most because it's newer to me and it's a new concept, but I think it's ingenious. And if you just go to Tim Ferriss's website or Google Tim Ferriss or go on TED and Google and look up Tim Ferriss and watch his TED talk on fear setting. His fear setting is basically three pages. And page one, he just has define, prevent, and repair. And then he's going to list, or you could list, 10, 20 different fears that you have for a situation. And, you know, he gives the example in the TED Talk about being in the way of his business and wanting to take a trip to Europe. And, and you know, his what were his fears about taking this year-long trip to London? You know, what is your big fear? 
a lot of people want to switch careers. I switched careers not too long ago. I left what was familiar and comfortable with me to try something new. And there was a lot of fear. And I wish I would have had this methodology to go through. Because what I would have done is said, okay, what are my fears about switching jobs? One is I might lose income. I might switch to an industry where I can't get paid. I may not look smart enough. I may not enjoy it. And I would just go down those lists. So in the next column, I would list, how could I prevent that? How could I prevent the income? Well, maybe I'll have a second job as a backup. So if the first job isn't working, then I'll have some income. How am I going to prevent the fear of not looking smart enough? Well, then I'm going to study and I'm going to set time aside. This is my time for studies and schooling. And this is how I'm going to become the best at what I want to do. And then the third column is how do I repair that? Let's say it happens. What if one of those fears comes true? I'm not making any money. I couldn't prevent it. So how do I repair it? I either study harder and become better at it, take an internship and learn from someone, or I go back to the job that I had before, which was stable and making good money. But a lot of times, these are the situations and goals that people don't want to look at. They don't want to look at the negative side. It's how can I get the positive, but you need to look at these roadblocks. Where are you going to stumble? Where are you going to have problems? Don't be afraid to look at this. Page two is what might be the benefits of an attempt or partial success? What would be the benefit of me switching careers this late in life? I could be happy. I could be make a lot more money. I could spend more time with my family, with my friends. It'd be a lot less stress than what I was doing before. And that leads to page three, which is then what's the cost of inaction emotionally, physically, financially. And we want to look at six months, one year, three years. We don't want to go too far because then it just becomes a crapshoot and it, it becomes really hazy. But what happens if I don't switch careers? Emotionally, I become depressed. Physically, I'll gain weight because I'm depressed. Financially, I might be okay, but it might be stagnant. So then I look and rate at that. Is the cost of inaction greater than the cost of what the fears would be? The cost of inaction plus the added benefit of an attempt or success basically minus the fears. You can, you can math it out. So is switching careers right for me is switching positions for me is stopping to play one sport to play another sport right for me map out those fears i want to stop playing football so i can focus on baseball what's some of the fears i might not get a scholarship playing baseball i might not enjoy the grind of the baseball season 
What might be the benefits? Man, you're a pitcher and you get a major league deal. You you got some bank going, right? Some money. Health. I think I'd rather be a pitcher health-wise than be a quarterback or a lineman. And then cost of inaction. What if I don't switch? Well, then maybe I'm just a mediocre football player. I get no scholarship for football. I have no scholarship now for baseball. And I'm working at dad's used car lot after I graduate. Because I decided, you know, not to do this. And now I'm not going on to college. I'm not playing on scholarship. I mean, all this can work for everything. Sports, life, you know, health. In the business world, I'm afraid to call that client. I know that client's already working with a competitor. So I don't want to call them. I mean, what happens if you, what are your fears? Well, they're going to tell me no, or they're going to make me feel bad, or I'm going to look stupid. Okay, well, how can I prevent that? I'm going to sit down and think about what questions they're going to ask me and how I can get those answers. They're going to ask me what figures and what costs are, and I need to know them at the tip of my tongue. And if I don't, how do I save that? How can I tell them, well, I need to look up that pricing, or I'll get back to you. Let me find out the right answers for you. But what are your benefits of partial success? What are your benefits if they say yes? Your commissions go up by 150%. You're making a lot more money now. Or maybe they throw you a little bit of their business and your commissions only go up 20%, but that's still 20% more than you were going. But if you don't call, what could happen? You don't meet your goals. You get fired. You're always worrying about making sales goals or what clients you have or who's trying to steal your clients. So again, it almost becomes a zero sum. You know, you want to want to look at rate it one through 10, 10 being the, you know, happiest and best possible outcome to zero, which is absolute garbage, negative results. And do the benefits of what might happen plus the cost of your inaction outweigh your actual fears of what you need to do. So that's why I really like the fear setting. It makes you look at the uncomfortable situations and conversations that you need to have with yourself about what you want to do. And that brings us to the common area, you know, common errors just like that was an error. Uh, <laughs> we got to look at the common errors of goal setting. And I still think the two biggest ones that pretty much cover everything is we either make our goals way too broad. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want to be the best softball player in the state to the other extreme which is we're way too micromanaging our goal is I want to lose 10 pounds so I'm making a goal I'm going to eat 45 calories at 9am then I'm going to eat 25 calories at 930 then I'm going to have one cup of water 
and then I'm going to eat 45 calories at 10. And next thing you know, you have 45 steps towards your goal. The other one is we just make the goals and we don't write them down. We don't put them somewhere. They're just in our head. Oh, yeah, I know I want to lose weight. Trust me. Every time I walk by a mirror, I know I want to lose weight. But for that to happen for me, I'm going to have to write it down. I'm going to have to see those goals every single day. And I'm just going to chunk it up. I want to lose two pounds this week. My ultimate goal is to lose 16 pounds, let's say. Instead of writing that every day, every week, I'm writing what my goal is for that week. I want to lose two pounds this week. That's my goal. Now, how do I lose those two pounds? I'm going to eat less than 2,000 calories a day. I'm going to exercise 30 minutes a day. I don't necessarily need to go the whole way through and micromanage it. Now, if for health reasons in this example, I want to, because I want to know exactly what my carb intake is and my sugar, that's a little bit different story. But when we're talking about the actual goals of trying to lose weight, I don't need to micromanage it as much. So that's something that we need to look at. Too broad, too micromanaged, and not visible to you. I personally like to use, and I get paid nothing by them. I wish I would. I feel like they should give me free stuff as much as I recommend it. Best Self Company. Website is bestself.co, not com. Bestself.co. And they make a great 13-week journal. And it lets you roadmap out your journal in the beginning, what your 13-week goal is, what are your three major goals? And then breaking down three minor steps to those three major goals. You have a month calendar. You have your weekly check-in. And then you have your daily log. It is a great product. Sturdy. Visually appealing. So if you're serious about a goal... If there's something serious that you want to work on, I would suggest getting a planner and journaling it. The other planner I like to use, especially on the business because it's bigger and I can just fit more on it, is the Panda Planner. Matter of fact, I'm waiting for UPS to show up because of my new 2018. Now, they're undated, but I, I pretty much use it year to year. But my 2018 Panda Planner should be here today. So I'm kind of stoked about that. So check those two products out. How much have you spent chasing your goals, especially if it's weight loss? How much have you spent on videos, DVDs, supplements, diet pills? And you can't take 30 bucks to buy a journal to help you with your daily goals? This podcast wouldn't be done today if I didn't have it checkmarked. I would have just kept on motoring. I would have found something else I wanted to do. I want to play some Ghost Recon on the Xbox today instead of doing a podcast because I just want to chill. But I wrote it down that this was my goal. I had to get this done today. 
So that brings us to my favorite part, which is where I get to answer questions posed. And you can post questions on social media. You can find us at mentalcast.com. And on social media, under our Soul Performance Academy banner, you can soulperformanceacademy.com, 717soul.com. Across all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at 717soul. And if you have a question for us, you can hit us up with the hashtag Ask717Soul, S-O-U-L. And we kind of search them and decide which ones we can pull out and, and you know what we're going to talk about. Obviously, we can't get to them all, but we try to. So feel free to hit that up. Our first one comes from Tim who asks, you know, how do you mentally process failure to complete goals and how to manage self-expectations during the process? I think that's kind of a feeling out process. Is my failure at completing goals because of something wrong with the goal? Was there something wrong with the goal in the sense of it was too broad or it was not attainable or the timeline was wrong? That's the first thing I look at because then I need to adjust my goal. But if everything seemed to be in line and then it was just a process, then maybe I'm not being very efficient in my process. I hate going back to the same example of weight loss, but it's such an easy way for everyone to relate. But if my goal was to lose two pounds this week and I didn't lose my two pounds, I know medically that I'm okay to lose so it's obtainable for me to lose two pounds a week. I'm doing 20, 2,100, 2,000 calories. So that should help. But then when I look at it, okay, well, it's not the right 2,000 calories or the time of day isn't correct. So I think that you're not failing. And I know this sounds so cliche, but you're actually learning. You're learning, was it the process that was causing the error or was it the goal? And that's the whole point of the goal setting. Because if not, I would just be like, oh, I'm not losing the weight. So I'm going to stop. I no longer have that goal. So use those moments when there's, and I'm using air quotes, failure to complete your goals as a chance to check your goals. Is it the goal or is it the process? Is it what the steps that I'm going about the problem? And how to manage self-expectations during the process. This goes back to, you know, using the smartest. Make sure that it falls in line with that. Are those realistic goals for you? Are they timely goals for you? Maybe you need to adjust the time. If I needed to lose five pounds and if I needed to lose five pounds, and I set a goal of losing five pounds in one week and I don't miss it or I don't make it. Then mentally, how am I going to feel versus if I had three weeks to lose those five pounds and I didn't. So again, I have to look at the confines of what my goals are and how I'm setting them and just adjust. You might feel bad. Okay, I missed my goal. I should have lost two pounds. But. Because I set my goals and I'm looking at my goals, I know how I can adjust that. And it actually motivates me. Okay, I'm going to change this now and let's see if that's better. Right? 
If, if you're playing a sport and the same team keeps beating you, you have to change something up. You change your lineup. You change your methods. But then don't you get excited? Okay, we changed this. This is the year that we beat them. This is the year that we're finally on top because I've made these changes. This is what we used to do. Now look, these are the changes I made. So hopefully it guides you and motivates you. Great question, Tim. Thank you. Pat writes, measurable goals versus immeasurable goals. Which are better, which are worse, what's worth measuring? I mean, as stated before, Pat, I think you have to have measurable goals because how do you know you've reached your goal? If my goal is to be a better setter at volleyball, how do I know I'm a better setter? I need to make that goal measurable. I need to have a higher setter efficiency or I need to have a lot more assists. And again, I need to quantify that. If I'm averaging 10 assists out of 50 attempts and I want to be a better setter, then I'm just going to say, okay, I want to have 30 assists out of 50 attempts. I just really don't know of a situation where I would think that an immeasurable goal is worth it. Um, you know, I've heard stories of terminally ill people that, you know, they say, oh, I want to live till Christmas. I just want to live till Christmas. And they do. But then they die shortly after. The question is, maybe we should help those patients in the medical field reach more goals. Obviously, I'm not saying that goal setting is going to cure. But maybe that'll help motivate. It'll help the struggle. It'll help them continue to take their meds. It'll help them to work on healing. It'll help keep the positive mental attitude to keep them going. If we keep setting those goals, okay, Christmas, now Easter, now birthdays, now summer, and we just keep pushing those goals. What's worth measuring? I think really almost everything. What what isn't worth measuring? I, I know I keep coming back to asking that negative question, but I would want, I mean, I'm not gonna measure every step probably. I know the big deal is I need to get my 10,000 steps in today. But I'm just gonna look at that number. I'm not gonna look every five minutes. Okay, I'm measuring, I need, 10,000 steps today. So I need to have so many steps per hour because that's, you know, while I'm awake. And then per hour, I need so many steps per minute. I'm not going to measure it the whole way down to the minute. So I don't think the question is what's to measure. I think the question is more is how to measure it. Michelle writes, conversation on that space between achievement and failure. And I think we touched on this with Tim's question a little bit. <clears throat> and again, I know it's cliche, but change the failure into learning. Do I need to adjust my goals or do I need to adjust my process? And maybe that is the biggest thing that you take away from goal setting isn't so much that goal setting helps you reach your goal. 
Maybe you use goal setting to help you figure out if your process works, or maybe the process is just whacked and it'll never work. But you have no way of knowing that if you don't set the goal and try to figure it out. So I think we just remove the failure and just maybe you get upset because you're learning a lot and you want to get that achievement. But we have to have that balance. Brian writes in, what do you do with a player who isn't, necess- isn't necessarily resistant but has never set goals and doesn't believe it will help their performance? Pretty much you do the same thing that you would do with a skill. Uh, Brian, in this question, asks about a player, and I know Brian as a volleyball coach and a volleyball player, so we'll just continue to use that Um method and thought process but what if you have a player that you need to make a setter but she's never been a setter she's not going to necessarily buy into that and doesn't think she can do it you're going to help them and work with them on their skills to get better and then you're also going to give them feedback and show them how they're getting better so maybe that's how you approach goal setting with this person show them the basic ways to set the goals and then kind of handhold And show them like, hey, look, you've reached this goal quicker than you probably would have. Or, hey, you reached this goal. I know you don't think that maybe the goal setting helped you reach it, but why don't we just continue on because it's not going to hurt. So I think in this case, there's just, Brian, there has to be a lot of feedback given. And showing them like, hey, look. We now know that you've gotten better. You've left the gym as a better player than you entered because your serving percentage went up today. Your assist percentage went up today because we knew what those measurable goals were for you as a player. Uh, Michelle and Heidi both asked, what does research show? And like anything, there's a ton of research. But one of the things I, two of the things that I really want to touch on is the endowment effect and Dr. Edwin Locke. So the endowment effect is basically when we, it's, it's the concept of when we take ownership of something like an item or an idea or a goal, we're more committed to it. So we want to own up to those goals. We want to make those goals. You know, when we do, when we do team rules at my school, I have the players come up with the team rules. Now, obviously, I'm going to have input and I'm making sure they're not ridiculous. But what I found is because the team is coming up with the rules, they adhere to them more. They hold each other to the fire more because it's their rules. It's not the rules handed down to them from the coach. It's the rules that they as a team came up with. So they stick to them more. And a study at Cornell University actually went into the endowment effect with um, a a pretty cool experiment. So first, the researchers gave participants coffee mugs and offered to trade them chocolate for their mug. And almost none of the participants wanted to trade. Next, the researchers reversed the trial. They gave the students chocolate and asked them to trade for the coffee mugs. And again, almost no one wanted to trade. 
it was because they felt like they owned the chocolate, that they didn't want the mugs. Or they felt like they owned the mugs and they didn't want the chocolate. It had nothing to do with the actual value or need of either one. But because they were in possession, they felt that there was more value to that item than what was being offered to them. So again, with our goals, because we're taking ownership of those goals, I'm going to try harder because that's my goal. When we look into goal setting itself, one of the one of the, the big studies and pioneers was Dr. Edwin Locke. So in the 60s, he was doing some really pioneering research into goal setting and motivation. And in 1968, he wrote an article called Towards a Theory of Task Motivation and Incentives. And he showed in his study, well, one of his studies, that clear goals with appropriate feedback motivated employees. And he went on to highlight that working toward a goal is also a major source of motivation, which in turn improves performance. So it goes back to that very beginning of this podcast when I talked about Deepak Chopra's book and how Merlin asked a young King Arthur to dig a hole and then to fill it in. He had that goal to dig and that was his goal and he did it well, he did it efficient, he did it deep and it took forever. But had Merlin said, hey, I want you to dig this hole and then fill it in. How do you think the task would have been done? And in another one of his studies, Locke reviewed about a decade's worth of laboratory and field studies on goal setting. And he found that 90% of the time, specific and challenging, and that's a key, but not too challenging goals led to higher performance than to easy or do your best goals. So that's the key. Just as setting goals that are really, really hard can be detrimental, setting goals that are too easy that you can just go through your checklist aren't motivating you. The key is the goals that you set should be motivating to you. So there has to be some sort of challenge to that. So when we look at feedback, you know, Trying to tell, telling someone try harder, do your best is less effective than saying try to get more than 80% correct. When I work on serving with my team, I tell them I want 90%. And while there may be studies that say, you know, if you serve 90%, you know, you win more. But for me, the reason I pick 90% is it's just an easy number to remember, but it gives them a goal of, okay, this is what I want to work at. Because I find that naturally most people hang around the low 80s and non-challenged good servers hang around the high 80s. So how do I get them into the 90s? I'm going to give them that specific goal of I want you to serve 90% this season. And again, a goal that's too easy is not motivating. How much effort have you put into something that is so easy for you to do? Hard goals are just more motivating. So that's a brief summary. And again, use your friend Google, check out Dr. Edwin Locke and look at the studies and it'll give you some more research on how goal setting affects. Then the last one from Heidi is I've heard, and this was directly to me, 
I've heard you have players set daily goals. Can you tell us more about this and give examples of things within their control? So one of the things that I have them do is they journal and, and that'll be the next episode. That that's what got, you know, pushed aside for this episode was the journaling episode. And in their journals, I want them to set a goal. It can be a daily goal for life, or it can be an, you know, a volleyball goal, an athletic goal. But when we're in the gym, I have everyone write a measurable goal on the board. So the first thing the girls come in when they do is they write down serve, nine out of 10 during scrimmage today or have eight line kills because this player wants to get better at hitting the ball down the line. So their goal is to have eight line kills in the scrimmage today. Or, you know, if they knew that we're doing a a specific drill or game, you know, they might change it up. But the thing about it is I don't know which goals go to who I don't have them write their name. And it says Susie, Dash, my goal is nine line kills. They just write nine line kills. They know. The person that wrote it knows which goal is theirs and it's their motivating factor. And I just make sure they do things. Instead of saying serve better, it's serve 90%. Instead of saying run faster, I want to run a sub five minute mile. So that's how I have them do it within their control. Obviously, some things aren't in control. I want to win today. Winning isn't completely in their control. There's other people involved on that. So that's not always a fair assessment. Or maybe just the other team is better. But that doesn't mean that you still can't achieve your goals. If team A is better than you, but every individual person sets their goals and strives for their goal and it all comes together, there's a highly like a higher likelihood that you beat team A, right? If I know that if we average 10 kills per set, so 10 pil- kills per game, We can beat this team that's better than us. So if I have three girls, one girl averages three kills per match or three pills per set. Another girl averages four and another girl averages two. That's nine. So I want to get to that 10 level. So I just have them all bump up one. Each girl, I want you to go one higher. That's your goal. Strive to be 1% better. Because if all three of you are 1% better, that's the 3% better that I need the team to be to beat that team. And that's probably the thing that my girls this year got sick of hearing in the huddle. So I have to figure out how to reword it. But every time we were in the huddle and we were down, I would just keep telling them, I don't need, I, I don't need everyone to become a superstar. I just need everyone that's playing right now to play 2% better. And that will give us the 10% we need to beat this team. Because we're only down and we're only losing by two points, three points the whole way. I don't need one person to gain all those points. I just need everyone to be 2% better. 
better. So that's a lot of information, but that that's goal setting in a nutshell. And again, some people like it. Some people don't like it. I think it's a valuable tool. I think the key, like Michael Gervais says, is we can't get bogged down with making so many micro goals and mini goals and small goals that we actually forget that we're striving for something, that we're trying to be better. If I'm coaching an NBA team, do I want to set my goal as being the best team in the East? Or do I want to set my goal saying, we need to win 106 games this year? I, I have no idea how many games there are in basketball season, by the way. I just I don't watch basketball. But I would think that winning 106 probably means that you're the best. So you kind of see I did the same thing there. Both will have the same result. Well, if I get 106 wins, I'm going to be the best team in the East. Or if I'm the best team in the East, I'm the best team in the East. But with the 106 wins, I know what I'm striving for. The key is how much do I break that down? Okay, 106 wins. That means I need to win three a week. Well, if I don't win a three a week, does that mean I can't hit my goal? No, it just means I need to pick it up somewhere. But I know that I have to pick it up somewhere. If I just say I'm the, I need to be the best in the East and I lose a few games, I just kick that can down the road. Ah, we'll win more next week. And then next week becomes next week. And next week becomes next month. Next month becomes the month after that. And then next thing you know, the season's over and you only won 70. And now you're in the hunt to be the number one lottery pick in the draft. So if you have to take takeaways from this, make your goals visible, quantify what your goals are, and don't be afraid to talk about them. Sure, some people will be jerks about goals. You tell them what your goal is. Oh, you'll never lose that. You'll never win that. Maybe. But I guarantee you there'll probably be a lot more people that are supportive of you, that are going to try and help you. What can we do? How can we help your team? How can I help you lose weight? Hey, I'll walk with you. Share your goals. All right. I thank you all for listening. My next episode will be on journaling and we'll go through the whole journaling process and hopefully I'll get some guests. I have some friends that are starting to journal now for the first time. I love to get their thoughts and get them on the air maybe a little bit. I'll have to disguise their voice probably for some of them. But this is Dan Mickle from Soul Performance Academy. Thank you for listening to the Mental Cast, episode two, goal setting. And hit up the hashtag, Ask717Soul. If you have some questions to ask, visit us all over the web, 717soul.com, thementalcast.com, on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at 717soul. So remember, train the brain, and as always, don't suck. You've 
just finished listening to the Mental Cast with your host Dan Mickle, powered by Soul Performance Academy. Visit us online at 717soul.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 717soul. Send us your questions for future episodes with the hashtag Ask717Soul. Thank you and catch you on the flip side.